You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. As you're getting to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, have any of you heard of this book? There's going to be a slide that's going to come up that's going to show you it. Have any of you heard of the book, The Paradox of Generosity? It's a relatively recent book. Anyone at all? I don't expect that anyone has read this. Oh, yes, my daughter, of course. <laughs> like the plant, right? It's amazing. I wouldn't even talk. This is so cool. Okay. So this uh, book, if you're not familiar with it, is uh, the published results of a major research study conducted by the University of Notre Dame. From detailed scientific research, this study reports that there are widespread benefits to our well-being directly associated with generosity. Across the board, in terms of personal happiness, bodily health, one's sense of purpose in living, one's avoidance of depression, and one's ongoing interest in their own personal growth, being more generous is simply better for us by any measure. The next slide shows you the sad reality, though. Despite the obvious benefits to engaging life in a way that is more likely to bring us peace of mind and to help us to use our word, flourish, living generously, as you can see, proves to be a minority practice. You see, the percentage of Americans who give more than 2% of their income, more than 2%, less 86% give less than 2% of their income. Think about that for a moment. Despite these obvious benefits, most of us are missing out on them. Most of them are missing out on the benefits that become the divine, more than generous people that God created us to be. And this is the paradox, by the way, of generosity. All these benefits and yet so little engagement with generosity. And that's why we're engaging in this sermon series. I know many of you, I I listen and I hear, are like, oh, well, we're doing the stewardship series because of the capital campaign. And without question, there's a relationship there. But the focus of this sermon series, if you've been paying attention to it, is not been primarily to get you to fill out a pledge card or to get you to give in terms of our annual budget. Though that need is there, and we've not been shy about telling you that. The purpose of this series has been for us to understand and to wrestle with The fact that God has created us to be generous people, that that is what our lives are to be about. That is how we reflect the image of God in us. That is how we reflect the reality of Christ in our lives, by becoming, by the grace of God, generous people. For the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a couple of things. We've talked about the means for becoming generous biblically. We've talked about the motivation biblically for being generous. And last week, we talked about the Lord's goal in seeking for us to be generous. Today, we're going to turn to the letters of Paul. And when we do, we're going to learn what the Lord desires for us to gain by becoming more generous, more than generous, like he is with us. Now, you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me kind of set this up for you. One of the, the, most, one of the more recurring parts of Paul's ministry for Christ that, frankly, is often overlooked is that he himself initiated a capital campaign. He undertook a capital campaign for more than 10 years on behalf of the impoverished church in Jerusalem. 
And there's a lot of speculation as to the reasons for the financial troubles of the church in Jerusalem. Some infer that they were in financial straits due to the continued persecution that they were enduring. Others speculate they had economic strain because of caring for all the widows and orphans around them that that inevitably tapped them out. The thing is, we just don't know. Paul never, interestingly, never indicates what the specific situation is. Whatever the reason, Paul, as he travels around the Roman Empire for a decade, planting churches in major urban areas, asks predominantly Gentile believers to give generously in meeting the needs of their poor Jewish Christian brothers and sisters. Inferences to Paul's ongoing appeal can be gleaned in several of his writings, as well as the book of Acts. But it's here, in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, that he particularly addresses the topic and offers us one of the most extensive and clear passages in all of Scripture about giving. And I want to just let you know, Today is going to be a terrific recap of what we've learned so far in this sermon series. And if that makes you groan, recognize that not everyone is here every week. You may not have been here every week, and repetition isn't a bad thing, because sometimes we hear things differently. But also be encouraged, while there's going to be a recap of what we've learned so far, in this letter from Paul, we're also going to get some new insights along the way. So if you have chapter 8 open, I want to read to you the first couple of verses. We're starting in verse 1. It's not the slide that's on the screen. I'm going to be reading to the scripture, and then I'll be referring to some slides. Paul writes, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to also bring to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through you his poverty might become rich." And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I wanted to give you the full reading of that section, but then we're going to break it down. And, And what's going on here is Paul, once again, is writing to the Corinthian church And he appeals to them to give to the Jerusalem churches by making reference to the contributions that have been already made by the churches in Macedonia. So he's writing to the church in Corinth, 
to help the church in Jerusalem, and he's appealing to them to give to the church in Jerusalem based upon the churches in Macedonia. But as you probably caught right from the very beginning, Paul links together two ideas that don't seem to make sense. On the one hand, as you see up there, Paul speaks of overflowing joy and rich generosity. Now, just based on this description alone, if we looked at it on on isolation, the Macedonian churches sound like a well-off community, right? Opening up their storehouses in in a way as if to express, hey, here, take whatever you need. We've got plenty from where that came from. But as you can see, at the same time, Paul also speaks of the community in Macedonia as living in extreme poverty. These people are dirt poor. They barely have anything for themselves. Yet Paul testifies the Macedonian churches didn't just let the offering plate pass by them. The community in Macedonia gave to the churches in Jerusalem from what they had to live on, from everything they had. Much like last week, as we had Jesus point to a very poor widow who did something similar, we find ourselves, we confront a situation, a posture, a response here that defies common sense. I mean, most of us would say to a person without much money, don't spend anything else. Hold on to everything. And don't give anything away either. Save your money. You can always give later. Common sense would dictate giving as something we do when we have some extra, after we've covered all our expenses, and therefore giving comes from our surplus. That's common sense. That's how we would give, but that's not how the Macedonians give. They reflect the scriptural understanding that we learned about previously, that God's desire is for us not to give from what's left over, but to give from our first fruits offering the best from what we have. The Macedonians, from the best of the little they have to begin with, give to God first. They contribute not from their surplus, but from their perceived deficit. Again, this doesn't seem to be prudent, right? More of a careless rather than a careful way to give. Because, I mean, when we have a deficit, right, or whenever we calculate we might not have enough for ourselves, We don't give at all. We tend to hold on to our money when our wallet's a little thin, but not the Macedonians. They looked at their circumstances totally differently. They said, we don't have much, so we'd better give it away now before it's all gone. The Macedonians not only gave as much as they could, but the way Paul describes it, they gave and they gave, and when they got to their limit, they blew right past it and kept on giving. Paul underscores they gave with overflowing joy. And that begs us to ask, what could possibly motivate a person, let alone a whole community of people, to give like this? And as the next slide comes up, Paul describes the Macedonians in their generosity were not reluctant. They weren't begrudging partners who contributed out of a sense of guilt or obligation. No, The way Paul describes it, the Macedonians urgently pleaded for the opportunity, for the privilege of participating through their giving. In other words, what motivated the generosity of the Macedonians was gratitude. 
And again, this is something else that we've learned previously. Biblically, this is to be the motivation of our giving, gratitude. As a community, the Macedonians saw their ability to contribute to the need of the Jerusalem church as a way to express their thanksgiving to God. Their thanksgiving to God for what? For God's gracious provision for them. I don't know how many of you remember this from the book of Acts, but remember, the gospel came to the Macedonians by way of divine intervention. Anyone remember this? In mapping his missionary journeys, Paul wasn't planning on going there. Paul was redirected to Macedonia from a vision of the Lord. Their giving, therefore, was an expression of thanks for the salvation of the gospel that came to them. Even more specifically, the giving of the Macedonians is born out of their gratitude towards God for the embrace and acceptance of the Jerusalem church. Don't, don't forget to read between the lines here. Let's not forget we're talking about giving to the Jerusalem church. And who's being asked to give to the Jerusalem church? Predominantly Gentiles. And we see throughout the book of Acts, early on in the church, this tension that exists between Jews and Gentiles. The Macedonians, in their giving, clearly haven't forgotten how they have been blessed by the spiritual wealth of the Jerusalem church when they first came to Christ. They're overwhelmed with gratitude for the believers in Jerusalem who allowed God to reform their distaste and resistance in accepting Gentiles. They're overwhelming in their gratitude for the Jerusalem church allowing God to put aside their sacred tradition of circumcision as a requirement for belonging. All of this in order to bring the Macedonians into the family of God. The Macedonians' pockets may have been empty, but their hearts were full. Despite their circumstances, the Macedonians sought to give back to God by blessing the Jerusalem church in her time of financial need. Now, I know what we're thinking. Being grateful is all well and good. It's important to say thanks, but thanksgiving won't pay the bills. Giving like this, how did the Macedonians expect to get by? How did they expect to survive? And apparently... If you read between the lines from what Paul writes here, the Macedonians believed they would survive by continuing to live and rely on what had brought them that far. In a word, they were depending upon grace. And as that next slide comes up, as we go back to verse 1, notice what Paul attributes to the flourishing of the Macedonian church. Grace. Paul speaks of grace. Something fascinating to me. In these two chapters where Paul talks a lot about giving, something you'll notice is Paul never mentions the word money at all. Paul instead speaks of grace. In the first nine verses of chapter 8, which we just read, Paul uses the word grace five times. Paul doesn't talk about money as what enables the giving of the Macedonians. Paul wants us to understand that grace that the grace that has been given to them is what makes their giving possible. And in case we wonder where does this grace come from, Paul doesn't miss a beat. The next slide as it comes up, Paul moves there quickly by pointing to the grace of Jesus, who though he was very rich, yet for your sakes, our sakes became poor so that by his poverty, we might become rich. The generous response of the Macedonians is possible because of the gracious giving of God in Christ. My friends, we've learned about this. This is where we started in this sermon series. Grace 
is what enables us to be generous, to give out of gratitude rather than to hold back from a place of fear. This is what the Macedonians understand. This is what Paul is trying to help the Corinthians to comprehend. Our giving has nothing to do with how much we have, how much we possess in the bank, in our wallet, or in our pocket. Our giving has everything to do with how much we have been given. Generosity is a grateful response to grace. It is the recognition that all that we have, all that we are, has been graciously provided to and for us by God. The stability of our identity, the security of our circumstances, do not rest on what we earn or what we hold on to in terms of what we have. Our identity, who we are, our security, how things are gonna be for us, rest on the one who provides everything that is good. And what's amazing in this telling is Paul gives it to us. The Macedonians don't just profess to believe this. They don't just profess to believe in the grace of God. No, Paul presents them as living out of the grace of God. On the next slide, look at what Paul highlights. They gave themselves, first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Recognizing it's all grace, that all life is grace, the grace of God, the Macedonians have given more than just a certain contribution or a specific level of their material resources. They have given themselves wholly and completely to the Lord by yielding what they were given for the sake of the Jerusalem church. This is what Paul means, by the way, when he earlier describes how they gave beyond their ability, or as he says here, they exceeded expectations. The point is not that the Macedonians gave material resources they didn't have. That makes no sense. They couldn't give what they didn't have in terms of material resources. As Paul later emphasizes in verses 12 and 13 that we read, it's not about giving what we have. It's, about giving, it's not about giving what we don't have. It's about giving what we have. In other words, it's not about the money. We talked about this last week. It's not about the stuff. It's about the relationship. The Macedonians trust that if the Lord can and has met their needs up to this point, they can give because the Lord can and will provide whatever they need going forward. That's living by grace. Hear that this morning. Beloved, living by grace isn't just believing that God has, past tense, given you everything, everything we don't deserve, everything we can't earn on our own in the past. Living by grace isn't just believing that God has given us grace in the past. Living by grace is also trusting God will provide everything we need in the present and in the future. It's on this basis, the next slide comes up, it's on the basis of grace, the grace they have been given, that Paul invites the Corinthians to give generously. And here's something, if you don't know this or remember this about the Corinthian church, the Corinthian churches, in contrast to the Macedonian churches, were an affluent community. In fact, as Paul, I don't have the whole scripture up there, but if you have your Bibles open, Paul references kind of slyly in verse seven, the Corinthians like to boast about all the gifts they possessed. Paul therefore appeals to their gratitude for those gifts, their recognition of the grace they have received in order to give, in order to excel in giving graciously to the need at hand. 
My friends, our creator's intended goal in transforming us into givers is not to gain back what he's already given to us. God in Christ gave us all of himself in Jesus, all he had to give so that we would give ourselves fully and completely to him as the center of our lives. The invitation, both the invitation and the challenge of generosity is not how much I give. It's how much of me is in my giving. As we learned last week, and as we see here through the example of the Macedonians, it's not, as we so often call it, about sacrificial giving as much as it is about sacramental living. The offering given by the Macedonians is more than a response to a fundraising appeal. Their more than generous response is a sacramental act. It's sacred. It is expressing outwardly through a tangible manifestation, something given, the inner ongoing reality of the grace of God from which all blessings flow. Now, for the rest of chapter 8 and the first part of chapter 9, Paul gets into the logistics of picking up the contribution that the Corinthians will be giving towards this campaign. But then, in the last half of chapter 9, he returns to the theme of generosity. And I'm going to read those verses to you. If you're following along, it's chapter 9, starting in verse 6. Paul writes, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only the supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also flow overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. And again, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here, through the imagery of farming, the picture of a sower, seed, and a harvest, Paul teaches us the outcome, the benefit of generosity is reciprocity. The benefit of generosity is reciprocity. To put it more plainly, when we give, we get something back. Now, let's be really careful and clear here about what Paul is describing. This is not a formula. This is not a formula for opening up the floodgates of heaven and getting wealthy or what some have dubbed in some corners of the church, the prosperity gospel. The abundance of God's provision in our lives is not a green light for our accumulation of riches for ourselves, 
The Lord does not shower grace upon us in order to promote our individual financial reward and material gain. Grace is given to us for the purpose of being shared. Another way of putting this, the so-called prosperity gospel is based upon a self-centered calculation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is based on an others-centered calculation. It's not about a formula for success as much as Paul describes it as a rhythm of nature. As you'll see on the next slide, Paul's appeal to generosity is founded on the promise of the Lord abundantly supplying our needs and providing the seed of grace in our lives to enable our lives to be fruitful. Fruitful in sowing the seed of his grace into the lives of others. In other words, grace is both what makes our giving possible and grace is what we have to offer, what we are sharing when we give back to God by giving to others. Grace given is to be grace shared. The Lord blesses us in order to bless others through us. And as others receive the grace of God through, their, through our giving, they are enabled to become conduits of God's grace into the lives of others as well. You see this? Generosity extends and widens the blessings of God. What Paul is drawing our attention to, what Paul's inviting us to participate in, is this dynamic synergy of receiving and giving that defines the economy of the kingdom of God. And this totally makes sense because God's grace is generative. It's not static. What I mean is God's grace creates life. Grace reconciles what is broken. Grace restores all that has been lost. Grace resurrects the dead. Grace opens up the door to everlasting life. Grace is not static. Grace begets grace. This is the harvest Paul is talking about. The harvest of grace that bears fruit, not only in the lives of others, don't miss this, but in our lives as well. As we often like to say, we are blessed to be a blessing, but don't stop there. We are blessed to be a blessing, and we are blessed through becoming a blessing to others. For the Corinthians, here in this letter, Paul is stressing, it's not so much about their need to give to Jerusalem as much as it is about their needing to give, to complete what they started, and to share the blessings they've received from the Lord. This is because in God's economy, Giving is crucial to our own spiritual growth and maturity in Christ. Giving is absolutely essential to becoming people who are more than generous, just like the Lord is toward us. To reap that harvest, we must sow the grace we have been given. Generosity that is born of gratitude for the grace of God emerges not so much from how much we perceived the need to keep, but it emerges from how much we realize we have been given to share. In fact, and this is the part that disturbs people in what Paul writes here, in fact, the abundance of the harvest of grace in our lives will be in direct proportion to the level of generosity with which we sow the seeds of grace. Hear that again. The abundance of the harvest of grace in your life will be in direct proportion to the level of generosity with which you sow the seeds of grace you have been given. This is, again, not a formula. This is a rhythm of nature. Seeds are sown for a harvest. 
Any sparse sowing or any lack of, lack of harvest, in other words, is not for want of seed. It is for want of trust in the heart of the sower. It is to desire to hold on to what has been given. God's generous provision in our lives in this world, beloved, is more than enough for all of us. God's generous provision in this world is more than enough for all of us both to live and to give. For anyone on this planet to not have enough to live, let alone to give, to share with others, for anyone on this planet to not have enough to live, let alone to give, is an affront to God's abundant provision of grace to this world. Because remember, as Jesus tells us, treasures in the kingdom of heaven consists of gifts lovingly shared, not wealth or resources greedily clutched. Put it another way using Paul's analogy. A nourished tree, and that's what we are, nourished trees, a nourished tree does not withhold its fruit. Grace is given to be shared. Grace that is withheld is grace that we deny. Not just to others, it's grace we deny to ourselves. I don't know if you've experienced this in your life, but the more you hoard grace, the less of it you find in your life. Again, this is not a formula. God does not threaten to take away grace from us if we are not generous. God does not threaten anywhere to take away grace from us if we are not generous. The absence of generosity in our lives diminishes our ability to recognize and receive the grace we are given, the grace we need, the grace upon which our entire lives depend. The more we try to hold on to what we believe is our stuff, the more we try to protect, defend, and justify what we've earned or what we deserve, the more we will be driven by our fear of loss. The more we will be driven by the power of greed. The more we will be overtaken by the temptation of envy and grace will slip through our fingers. But Paul also tells the opposite story. On the other hand, the more generous we become, the more we share the grace we have been given, we will discover the more our capacity for the seed of grace increases in our lives. The more generosity will take over as the posture of our lives and fear and worry and greed and envy will become replaced by joy and freedom, peace and contentment. Have you experienced those gifts in your life? Have you experienced joy and peace? Have you experienced freedom and contentment? It's a byproduct of sowing the seeds of grace. It's a byproduct of being generous. But Paul underscores this a couple of times, but this is the verse we all know. Grace is not forced upon us, and therefore sharing grace is not compulsory. Generosity, people, is a choice. And most of us, we all know this verse, right? Someone's thrown this in our face, that Paul's comment on how God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah, you've all heard this verse? Here's something I just think is, is awesome. The original word used by Paul here is a Greek word, hilarios, which is where our English word hilarious is derived. Paul doesn't call us to be cheerful givers. And I've seen so many people who hear that and they have like that smile that they've kind of stuck on their face while they're like, here you go. I'm really glad to give this. Not. Now, Paul doesn't call us to be cheerful givers. Paul calls us to be hilarious givers. 
beside ourselves. You ever been hilarious? You know, busting at the seams over the funny nature of grace that we who deserve nothing, that we who can't earn anything on our own have been given everything to share. Now that's funny. Grace is the good humor of the God who challenges the narrative of this world that everyone has to compete for finite resources with this underlying narrative of scarcity. If we choose to live that way, if we choose to live according to that narrative, the joke's on us. But when we choose to live generously out of the grace we have received, we share in the laughter, the exhilaration of a different narrative. The gospel, the perpetually increasing cycle of belonging and abundance for all. Man, I have shared with you, and it has been hard to be this transparent on this topic. Just so you know, it's not just you if you're a little squirmy sometimes. I have shared with you my own journey, and as I've been married, Beth and I, our journey in giving, in God's understanding of giving, of generosity, and I've shared about <laughs> learning we could be generous even though we didn't think we had anything. I've shared with you about wrestling with that tithe, giving back 10%, that it's not about the amount. I've wrestled with you about how God doesn't just want what we give, God wants us. And, and what I have to share with you now is current, it's not past, and it's harder for me to talk about with you because it puts me, as I belong, right with you in this. Man, over the last couple of years, Beth and I have really come to understand the counter-narrative of the gospel. And Beth and I recognize that we believe it, we believe in the gospel, but we want to live it. We want to live this counter-narrative. We want to live this counter-narrative where our lives aren't measured by how much we have, but instead are measured by how much we give. But you know something, if I'm honest, and we're not, you know, we're not loaded or anything like that, but we're a lot better off than we were when we started on this journey of marriage and family. And the thing we've realized, which I think Jesus talks about, which Paul gets to here in talking to Corinth, is we've realized it's harder to be generous the richer we become on the world's terms. It's harder to be generous the richer we become on the world's terms. We've bought into the stuff we need to have. We've bought into the benchmarks that we're making it, that we're doing okay. We've bought into the benchmarks that we're gonna be all right in retirement. We've bought into the benchmarks that our kids, we've set them up for success. And it is harder to be generous the richer we become on the world's terms because it's this simple. The more stuff we have, the more stuff we hold on to. And the more stuff we have, the harder it is to manage it, all of it, let alone let it go. Is anybody else feeling this? Do you have a lot of stuff? Do you feel the burden of even just keeping track of your stuff, let alone how much of it you have? And it's like, I wanna go get rid of some of it, but I don't even know where to start. And then when you go to get rid of it, you realize how much deeper it goes, how much you've stuffed into cabinets and attics and basements and closets and sacks, and you didn't even realize you had it. Beth and I, we want to become hilariously generous in our giving. We long for the freedom of having nothing to lose and everything to gain, but that is a growth edge for us right now. We're swimming in it. I'm being honest with you. I'm telling you what we desire. I'm telling you what we're praying about, but we're like the Corinthian church where, okay, do it. We've realized something. We've realized in the economy of the kingdom of God Less is more. If we live on less, then we have more to give. If we live on less, then we have more to give. More time, more energy, more money. 
And so, and it is moving painstakingly slow in our lives. And maybe that's a sermon for another time. But we're working. We've been working, talking and praying and slowly working to let God teach us to live on less in order to give away more. And that just sounds crazy. And people I've like shared this to outside of a Christian circle are like, are you nuts? What are you talking about? Well, we want to try to live on less so we can give away more. Well, no, no, you actually need to make more so you can actually live. And then when you make more and you have enough to live, then you can give it away. This is the counter narrative I'm talking about. And if you're like us, and if you have more than you need, then you need to understand, just like we are, that you have a choice. You can build a bigger barn, you can build a higher fence, or you can build a longer table. You can build a bigger barn or a higher fence, and I think Jesus told a story about this one, by the way. You can build a bigger barn or a higher fence to keep and manage all your stuff, or you can build a longer table, a longer table to give what you have received for the benefit of others, to give what you have received for the benefit of your wholeness and health in Christ. My friends, I started this sermon by telling you that modern science is backing up what God has been trying to teach us all along. Living generously is the key to being joyful and content, healthy and whole, directed and purposeful in life. And this is because living generously is living out of the grace we have been given by God. We were created to be generous. We are saved by Jesus to become more than generous. Living generously is becoming our best selves in Christ. Something I didn't tell you about the study, this book, something really interesting that they found out is that simply Generous acts do not make the difference. It's generous practices. Once and for all, acts of generosity did not produce the benefits. Truly enriching, transformative generosity is a lifestyle rather than a gesture. gesture. And Paul, I think, would agree. We are changed by grace through being gracious in our orientation toward others rather than trying to balance a ledger of giving versus receiving through the occasional generous action. Because the thing is, living by grace is never reducible. Living by grace is never reducible to how much can I get away with giving. Generosity is an affair of the heart before it's an affair of the wallet. This is because the, the appeal to be generous is not so much the call to give back to God, and I know I keep using that language, but it's actually not the right way to express it. The call to be generous is not so much the call to give back to God. The call to be generous is the invitation to share in something God's already doing. In other words, living generously is being caught up in the flow of grace, caught up in the flow of the Lord's generous giving. If you've ever been, it's kind of like whitewater rafting. When you're whitewater rafting, you can stay at the side of the river and paddle hard by yourself to move forward. Or you can paddle into the flow of the water and be taken by its power. And following the current, you can navigate the river and enjoy the experience. My friends, there is a blessing in giving that we can only find when we choose not to paddle our way forward on our own along the bank, but instead paddle into the center of the Lord's presence and get caught up in the flow and follow that flow of God's grace. And God's grace always has an address. For Paul, that address in this moment and in that time, the grace that was needed was for the Jerusalem church. God's grace always has an address, a place where it happens, people who are identified with it. And beloved, this community is one of those places where grace is at work. 
not just in our name, but in the day-to-day ministry of lives here in this community that are being resurrected, lives that are being restored, lives that are being reconciled and transformed in our neighborhood. God's grace is on the move in our shared vision of everyone everywhere flourishing together in Christ. The soil here is good. The climate is perfect. The giver of the increase, our Father, is ready to provide the harvest. All that is needed is for each of us to share the seed to contribute generously out of the grace we have been given. This kind of generosity is not a luxury only some of us can afford. It's a practical act of worship all of us are invited to engage in. And so I invite you, not for the sake of this capital campaign, not for the sake of our annual budget, though there is a capital campaign and though we have an annual budget where there is need, I'm not asking you for those reasons because In the midst of it all, it's been true my 10 years, it'll be true however long I'm here and wherever else I go. Whatever we give or don't give, God's grace is real and true and he will continue to take us where he wants us to go. I am asking you to give to these things, to these people, these ministries, what they represent, not for the sake of themselves, but for the sake of your own enrichment and maturity. I am asking it for the sake of blessing others who will be touched by the grace you share. Guys, let's celebrate today. Let's not celebrate how much money we've raised. Let's not celebrate whatever our budget is next year. Let's celebrate today and every day that we, by the grace of God, are becoming followers who are marked not by our preoccupation with possessing things. Let's celebrate that by the grace of God, we are being possessed by the generosity of the Spirit of Christ. Amen? To God be the glory.